I, we've had a rainy day. We uh, we drove up from Fresno this morning, had a beautiful drive <coughs> uh, somewhere along the way where we started running into rain. First it was very little, and then it kept getting a little more and a little more and a little more. And by the time we got here, it was coming down pretty good. And uh, we need the rain, so we're thankful. Uh, God is good to us, providing rain. I know that our church, for several weeks now, have been praying for rain. And so whenever I get back home, I'm going to phone some folks and say, hey, folks, our prayers have been answered and the Lord has sent us some rain. And uh, I hope that he sends uh, quite a bit more of it. Now, we don't want to flood. We just, uh, you know, raindrops uh, keep falling on our head and we're grateful for that. I'm glad that you're here today. We're getting close to Christmas time now. Thanksgiving is, uh, is past, but remember, Thanksgiving plain and simple every day, every day. Uh, we, we have something for which to be thankful, and we need to constantly be thanking God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, and in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. God is a good God all the time. In our church back in Fresno, whenever the, pra- the pastor says God is good, the people always say all the time. All right. And all the time, God is good. All right. And so let's just remember that, practice that in our daily walk. And uh, this morning, we've had a lot of emphasis on uh, future events. We are glad that Cornelius paid us a visit today. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. Roger, I don't know if you were expecting that. Yeah. (laughs) It's always good to have a heads up, you know. And uh, we we've had some good announcements we're going to have Bethlehem and by the way whenever you come to Bethlehem remember one of the things uh, as we as we approach Christmas our Lord Jesus Christ was born at Bethlehem Bethlehem means house of bread so out of the house of bread came forth the bread of life and uh, all of us need the bread of life in order to sustain us he He's the one that provides eternal life, and we're looking forward to all the emphases that we will have during this Christmas time. Next Sunday, the Lord willing, uh, I will bring the first message in a series of messages on the incarnation. And next Sunday, the message will be the prepositions of Christmas. Matthew, Luke, and John, each one has a special preposition. You might want to be reading the stories of the incarnation from Matthew, Luke, and John, uh, 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 what they're having to say, and see if you can pick out those prepositions. If not, we'll be here next Sunday, and uh, I'll indicate to you what those prepositions are. I'm glad that that we made it out today, and uh, for those of you that are visiting with us, I think that I've already indicated that uh, I'm I'm the fill-in. I'm, I'm, I'm the person, you know, I'm not the real pastor. I'm a substitute pastor. I heard about a, a preacher that uh, went to a church one time and there was a broken window. The pane was broken. And he said,
said, you know, he said, I'm, I'm just here uh, as a supply. He said, I'm like that, that, that broken wind of pain over there. I'm, I'm just a substitute. And whenever the message was over and the people were leaving and he was greeting them, one lady came by and said, oh, pastor, I don't look at you as a substitute. I think that you're a real pain. And, <clears throat> and I thought, uh, it's always good to be appreciated. <laughs> No matter no matter what it is. If you have your Bible with you this morning, perhaps you'd like to turn with me to two places. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And then 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. And I'm reading from the New King James Translation today. And the title of the message is, In the Upper Room with Jesus. We'll begin with Luke 22. Verses 14 to 20. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 32. The Apostle Paul telling us of the revelation, the communication he received directly from the Lord. And he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood uh, of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And God will bless the reading of his word to our lives. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we do thank you and we praise you today for your kindness and love to us. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross for us. His life 
given to us as a free gift. And Lord, we thank you uh, that you provide for every need that we have. We give you thanks and praise today uh, for this time of worship when we can remember again the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed for us, the salvation that we receive as a gift of uh, from you. And we ask you today to bless these people, each one of us, as we gather around the table of the Lord. Help us today to honor you in every way. I pray if there be those present that do not yet know you as Savior and Lord of their life, that this might be the day that they had turned to you in the repentance of their sins and in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that today will be a day of salvation. We thank you again for your kindness and love and ask your direction now as we consider your word. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. amen. We come today to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church family. And I, I want to share out of my heart and from God's Word. Uh, we, we want to make this as simple as possible because the Lord's Supper was never designed to be a complex uh, service. It's very simple, but it's very, very meaningful. In fact, is it is the most meaningful, uh, the, the most meaningful service in the entire uh, worship of the church because we come to remember our Lord in a special way. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted two ordinances that he gave to his church to observe. The first is believer's baptism and the second is the Lord's Supper. Now both ordinances portray publicly and visibly the essential elements of the gospel. Both of them are symbolical and represent the central truths of the Christian faith. Now whenever I say that they're symbolical, we need to remember that there are some churches, there are some denominations that don't exactly observe the Supper of the Lord as, as a symbolical observance. Uh, they, they think that uh, and they teach that the elements are uh, translated into the actual body and blood of the Lord. It's called transubstantiation. Uh, there is a well-known denomination that with the, with the blessing of the priest as he prays over the elements, those elements actually, according to their teaching, become the body and blood of the Lord, and therefore the participants participate of the body and blood of the Lord. There are other groups that believe in consubstantiation, and they say, no, the elements don't change with the, with the prayer of the priest, but the elements, when taken, they they uh, they turn into the body and blood after you partake of them, and so both or both uh, observances of them make the observance a matter of works that we do receiving the Lord. We do not, as Baptists, as Bible believers, believe that. There are other people that believe, uh, for instance, John Calvin, that believe that not in transubstantiation or consubstantiation, but he believed that grace was 
was imparted with those. Now, as Baptists and Bible believers, we do not believe that there's any special grace that is received, but we are taught to remember the Lord, His body that was given for us, His blood that was shed for us. These elements do not have any saving uh, value to them. They do not help us be saved. They do not keep us saved. They do not save us, but they simply are to be reminders that Jesus Christ gave His life for us on that old rugged cross. He shed His pure, precious blood for us in order that we might be saved. And that is how we observe the Lord's Supper. Now, baptism is a once-for-all experience, but the Lord's Supper is repeated many times in the life of a believer. Not all churches... practice the observance of the Lord's Supper the same way as far as when they partake of it. Some churches observe the Lord's Supper once a year, some twice a year, some once every three months, some once every two months, some once every month. Some churches observe the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And then there are some denominations that don't observe it at all. And so uh, it's a matter of what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not tell us exactly how often to do it, but it says as often as we take the Lord's Supper, we are to remember Him. And that's the definition that's given to us in the writing of the Apostle Paul, as often as we do it. And so... Baptism follows closely on one's profession of faith in Christ. And actually, in the New Testament, baptism was the declaration of that faith. The Lord's Supper declares one's continuing dependence upon the Christ who is proclaimed in the gospel. The Christ who lived, the Christ who died, the Christ who was buried, the Christ who rose again for our justification and for our salvation, the Christ who has ascended and the Christ who is going to return and set up his kingdom here on this earth and that kingdom will go on to become the kingdom of God for all eternity. So both ordinances, the Lord's Supper and believer's baptism are commands to be obeyed but neither of them is a requirement for salvation. They they possess no saving power. They were both instant by Christ, they were taught by the apostles, they were practiced by the early church. And so today, we gather again to remember our dear Savior and to obey His instructions about how we are to remember Him. The Lord's Supper is one of the most important services in the life of the church. On that fateful night before Christ was crucified, He met with His disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. Verse 12 in uh, Luke 22 tells us about it. It says, uh, Then he... Uh, he, he will show you uh, a large furnished room <clears throat> there, make ready. And so they went to that room, they went to that place in Jerusalem. And his, his instructions about how to remember him were given in that place. And uh, 
they, they met there. They observed the Passover meal together. Now, the faithful Jewish people, the men were required to attend three feasts every year. Uh, the Jewish feasts, there were seven feasts altogether. Passover was the first one, and it was a commemoration of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage uh, with, the, with, with the blood of the lamb being slain and the blood uh, posted on the doorpost and the lintel of their homes and the death angel passed through and wherever the blood was on the doorpost, the angels passed over and the Jewish families were spared the death of their firstborn. And, and, and then, of course, they, they had unleavened bread because they made haste to leave and they didn't have time to put the yeast or the leaven in the bread for it to rise uh, and, and they left. And this is a time of commemoration. It's the first year on the Jewish calendar and a reminder of their deliverance from Egypt. Uh, it was a, a reminder of the miracle. Uh, it was a reminder of the lamb. It was a reminder of the blood and the power that was wrought whenever uh, they were delivered from that place. And they passed through uh, the Red Sea. And you'll remember the uh, the occasion there. And so it, it, it was a time, uh, Passover was a special time as they remembered that. As, as they were eating the Passover feast in Jerusalem, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and then Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, well, he gave it to his disciples saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And I understand that in uh, in your Sunday school you've been studying from the book of Hebrews and just recently you've talked about the new covenant uh, and Jesus instituted that new covenant here in the upper room when he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he instituted the new covenant. It, Jeremiah chapter 31 talks about that new covenant that was given and it was instituted by Christ in the upper room. So Matthew records that Jesus also said, drink from it, all of you, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27. So Jesus explained that the bread represented his body, which would be given for them on the cross, and that the grape juice represented his blood of the new covenant, which would be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. Now I remind you that the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins there can be no forgiveness of sins apart from the for, uh, from the shedding of blood and Jesus according to John the Baptist in the teaching of the New Testament Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world he is the propitiation for our sins the word propitiation means a satisfying sacrifice I like to think of it also as being the place of meeting for mercy Jesus is the place of meeting for mercy for our sins and not for our sins only but for the sins of the whole world Jesus Christ died as the Lamb of God paying the price for sin for all the world and so his blood and the forgiveness that we receive is effective now it is sufficient for everyone but is efficient only for those that put their trust and faith in him so that the price was paid when Jesus died on the cross he said it is finished
finished. Uh, that is, it's paid in full. Everything that was necessary to be done in order for man to be saved was done when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus paid it all. All, all our sins were paid for in full when he died on that old rugged cross. And so since that faithful night, nearly 2,000 years ago, Christians have come to the supper of our Lord to worship Christ, to fellowship with God, uh, to solemnly remind themselves of the price that Jesus Christ paid for their redemption. And the observance of the Lord's Supper is one of the most important services in the life of the church. Now, whenever we turn uh, to 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, and and as we've read verses 23 to 32, uh, we find out that Jesus commanded uh, that we have the Lord's Supper. The early church practiced it according to Acts chapter 2. It keeps us focused on Christ himself, on his life, his words, his sacrifice, the heart of the gospel, which is his death, burial, and resurrection, and the, the cross. We always remember the cross where Jesus died. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, every burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and and and, and that makes me happy all the day. We, we are saved by looking to Jesus Christ and the, the payment that he made for our sins on the cross. And so the Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance. As we've come to the Word of God, we realize that we remember the past that Christ died for us. It replaced the Passover meal, which called to remembrance God's redemption and His deliverance of His people from the bondage and slavery in Egypt. The the Supper reminds us of our redemption and our deliverance from the bondage and slavery of sin and Satan. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so just as the Jewish people were delivered from bondage in the uh, uh, at the time of the Passover, we are delivered from our sins through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Just as every action in each element, um, food had a purpose in the Passover meal, each element and action in the Lord's Supper has its purpose also. We remember Jesus' life, the prophecies that promised his coming, his virgin birth. We remember his virtuous, his sinless life. We remember his voluntary, vicarious, substitutionary death on the cross. We remember his victorious resurrection from the grave. Uh, We remember his vital ascension into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, our majesty, our, our great high priest in heaven who makes intercession for us. And we remember his promise to return. He said, if I go away, I will return and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We remember his commands that he has given to us. One of those commands, the great, the, the great 
commission uh, in Matthew's gospel chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 Jesus said all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I am with you always even unto the end of the age amen and they went out and they began public they began proclaiming the the Lord Jesus Christ even as each one of us who is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is to witness for the Lord we're to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth who lived a sinless life who died a voluntary vicarious substitutionary death on the cross who was buried and was raised the third day and is alive forevermore and is able to save to the uttermost all that come to the Father through him. We are to share, we are to bear witness, we are to take that message and proclaim it to a world that needs to hear it. And so we remember Jesus' betrayal, his night of agony in Gethsemane, his night of desertion by the disciples. We remember his night of trials. We remember his night of beatings, his night of interrogation, his night of mockery, his night of scourging, and his night of bearing the cross. We remember. Uh, and it's hard for us sometimes to put all of this into our minds and, and to focus on it. But this is what we do when we come to the Lord's Supper. It's a time to remember the past as we remember our marvelous, our mighty, our majestic, and our matchless Lord Jesus Christ. It is a divine command, a solemn obligation for every one of God's children to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's table is a table of remembrance. It is a table of obedience. It is a table of self-examination. It is a table of communion, of participation. It is a table of worship and thanksgiving and confession and expectation. All of this is involved in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper then is not only a time of remembering, it is a time of fellowship and unity in the present. When we come to the Lord's table, it is a present spiritual fellowship of the church as the family of God. We, we come as a united body. We do not come as separated individuals. We come as one loaf, as one bread, as one body to the Lord's table. We don't come with animosity in our hearts. We don't come with unforgiveness in our hearts. We don't come with a bitter spirit in our heart. We don't come holding a grudge against anybody else in our heart. We come with self-confession. It's not the preacher or the deacon, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mama, it's not my daddy, it's not my brother, it's not my sister. It's me, O oh Lord. I stand in the need. Oh God, forgive me of my sins. Oh God, make my heart right. Oh God, be blessed as I remember you. And we are we come together as one. And I want to say, I want to say, if there's anyone in this fellowship that you're out of fellowship with, get it right. 
Get it right today. Make it right today. Don't let any bitter spirit separate you from any other member of this body. It's vitally important that we be of one spirit, that we be of one soul, that we be of one heart, that we be in unity. It is a present communion of believers, a participation among us. It speaks of our unity. It's a present display of oneness among believers. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. It's a time for present examination and confession. We examine ourselves, which means that we look back and we say, Have I been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Am I washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have I repented of my sins? Have I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ, in Him and Him alone for the forgiveness of sins? Is He my personal Savior and Lord? Can I say that Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, and I love Him and I follow Him? That's the time that we get it straight uh, and, and know that we know that we know that we belong to Him. It's a privilege to come to the Lord's table and He is the host and we're members of his family. And then finally, I want to say the Lord's Supper is a time of anticipation of the future. It reminds us of the past. It calls us to commitment in the present so that we may fully anticipate Jesus' future coming in glory. As oft as you do this, you show or you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. It looks forward to our future presence at the wedding feast of the Lamb when Jesus will physically present himself uh, with us. He's going to be physically present. Uh, We're going to be with him. Revelation chapter 19 verses 7 through 9 tell us about that. Let me just take a moment and read that. Revelation chapter uh, 19 and verses 7 through 9. The Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen clean and bright for the for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints and then he said to me right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true sayings of God the marriage supper of the lamb He's coming again, and we're going to be with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb when we see our Lord Jesus Christ in all His beauty, in all His splendor, in all His majesty. And we will be arrayed in garments of white, and we will be with Him. And so, in conclusion, the supper is to help us remember the price that was paid for our salvation. The supper is to remind us of the presence fellowship of the present and the supper is to remind us of the future heaven that God has prepared for us the Lord's Supper encourages us first of all to look back with love and adoration to what he did for us on the cross 
And then it, uh, the Lord's Supper encourages us to look forward with hope and anticipation to his coming again. And since we must be careful not to come to the Lord's table with known sin in our lives, the supper should also be an occasion for looking within, examining our hearts and confessing our sins. And it should never be a time for looking around to see what others are doing or who else is taking or not taking the supper. It's an individual matter between the Lord and and his people. And we're not to be judgmental of other people. Who's taking it? Who's not taking it? Uh, Now for those that come who are not members of this local church, this church does not practice closed communion. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're in fellowship with him and you've confessed your sins, you are welcome to come to the Lord's table along with the rest of his people. It's a matter of knowing the Lord. This church provides and this this church uh, presides over the Lord's Supper, but this church does not police and it does not prohibit anyone from taking the Lord's Supper. That is not ours to do. It is ours to tell you about the ordinance, to provide it, and then allow you to partake of it. And if you're a believer and have examined yourself, confessed your sins, and uh, have nothing between your soul and the Savior, you come joyously to to remember the Lord at this supper time. Can I have an amen? Amen. This supper is also an invitation to repentance and faith and salvation. If there's no, if, if there is a person here that has not yet received the Lord, this is an invitation for you before coming to the table of the Lord to say, Today, I repent of my sins. I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. I trust Him and Him alone for all eternity to be my Savior and Lord. And you would acknowledge that this is the time of salvation for you. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation with just one stanza. If there's a person that needs to make that decision, I'll be here at the front to receive you. After that, we will partake of the Lord's Supper as a family of God. Would you stand with me, please, as we stand together? And we're going to sing the hymn of invitation that has been selected. And Betty will lead us in that. Thank you. 